guys, it's just lovely to see you up the front here singing. It's excellent. I love it. Would you turn in your scriptures, please, to the book of Galatians? We're looking at chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verses 16 to 26. And Paul wrote this. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not see what you want, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no, no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Oh dear. Oh dear. What a passage. Hmm. It could be said that it's a graveyard for those who claim their freedom in Christ is justification for whatever they want to do. You've heard people say, oh, I'm free in Christ. And that's fine on a Sunday, free to go to church, free to go to a Bible study, free to pray. But sometimes then for the rest of the week, they use that freedom as a justification for other stuff. After all, as they espouse, how could a loving God ever dismiss anyone from his presence? You've heard people say that? 
Everybody loves God. God is a lover. God is a God of love. Therefore, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm a sinner. I can go on doing my sin during the week because God's not going to turn his face away from me. He's a God of love. He's going to accept everybody. Everybody's going to heaven. Hmm. Such is the seedbed for theological liberalism and universalism. Amazing how we take scripture and we twist it to make it say what we want it to say so that we're comfortable. One of the tragedies of today is that many people, even within the church, have forgotten to read their Bibles and heed its lessons. And even some pastors, ministers and priests have often chosen to eliminate sections of the Bible that may be unpalatable for some in their congregations for fear of causing an offence. I have said in this church before of a minister many years ago when I was a young boy. He was the minister of a church at which my family and I attended and he'd been there about three or four years and he constantly got up in the pulpit saying, reading the Bible, but saying, oh, well, we don't need to take any notice of that today. That's just ancient history. And then he would go on with his humanism. After about three or four years, when he was finally leaving the church, there was a lady who came up to him and said, Pastor, I want to present you with this Bible. And he smiled and said, oh, thank you very much. And he received a Bible. And he opened it and he noticed that it had been cut all through. There were passes, parts that were cut out. And he asked her, what, what, what's this? And she said, well, every time you said that we can't believe that or that's irrelevant and we don't need to take notice of that, I went home and I cut that passage out of the Bible because you said that I didn't need to take any notice of it. And what I'm presenting to you is what you've left me. The whole Bible is the Word of God. Even those parts that are not comfortable, even those parts that may cause us some offence, even those parts that challenge our life and our values and our principles that we think are okay. Because ultimately, it's what God thinks that matters. God is not there to conform to what we want. We are here to be transformed to what he wants. And this passage today is one such passage that has all too often been avoided, ignored or even twisted because it's not politically correct with some of the social norms of today. Well done, honey. 
for telling a little child that Jesus is not dead anymore. Regardless of what the teaching authorities say, Jesus is risen. Amen? Yes. Good on you, honey. Here at Pathway, we have a commitment to preach and teach all of the Bible as the Word of God. Even those parts that are sometimes a bit contentious, difficult to understand, or hard to follow. And as followers of the Lord Jesus, what must predicate everything we say and do is the realization and acceptance that our bodies are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. Would you invite anyone to this church and leave this church in utter mess? No. We clean it up as much as we can in order to welcome others in. Likewise, if our bodies are the temple of God's Holy Spirit, we are to make sure that it is clean as possible and a fit habitation for God. And your references there are 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6. As such, those things pertaining to the Spirit must take precedence over those things that are not of the Spirit, that is, of the flesh. This is what the Apostle Paul was saying to the Galatian church. And as followers of the Lord Jesus, we must learn what it means to walk in the Spirit. Not just entertain the Spirit on the Sundays with our songs and our bowings of heads and the sacraments, but we must learn what it means to walk in the Spirit and not be con uh, consumed or seduced by our carnal or fleshly wants and desires. When you think about it, it's such a simple lesson and yet so hard to put into practice because our carnal flesh tells us that if no one is looking and if we're not really hurting one and anyone else, we should be able to do whatever we want. Do you agree with that? If we're not hurting anyone and if no one's looking, we should be able to do what we want. Amen? No, no, no. We know the standards that God has set. We know the commands He has given. Therefore, we walk in His way. It doesn't matter if anybody else is watching or not. We do what God would have us do, even in secret, even in darkness. We do what God wants. After all, we have, they say, personal rights and it's no one else's business what I do with my own time or money. Have you heard that one? Personal rights. Goodness gracious me. How about obligations and responsibilities to do what God wants? 
shouldn't that always exceed our personal rights? Oh, how we can so easily delude ourselves with these mantras of the world today. We walk around as blind people following on what the world is saying and not realising that it's like walking to the precipice and no one to pull us back. One of the things that is so often forgotten today is the word consequences. It's a word that has so often now been substituted for the word outcomes. Have you heard this? In the workplace now, they're all talking about outcomes. It's very trendy to have outcomes. It's more palatable to talk about outcomes rather than consequences. Too often, we look for the mediated outcome that is beneficial for us rather than accepting responsibility for our actions and the consequences associated with them. According to God's word, there are consequences for everything that we say or do in life. The consequences for living a life contrary to the spirit and will of God is clearly laid out for us in verse 21. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The consequence for our worldly, carnal, fleshly responses in life is exclusion from the presence of God. And we exclude ourselves by our attitudes, by our, our behaviours. We exclude ourselves as much from God as he excludes us. And what this verse tells us is that God has set boundaries on what is and what is not acceptable attitudes and behaviours to him what are not, not acceptable attitudes and behaviours to him. God has set the boundaries. He has said there are consequences. You cross the boundary, there are consequences. You know, around about the 1970s, 1980s, there was a man in America called Spock. I'm not talking about the television series. And this guy was a behavioural a, a child behavioralist and he wrote books and he was saying you can't discipline your children you can't say no to them because that would break their spirit you need to allow a child to explore their humanity you need to allow them to do whatever they want you can't say no to them you can't stop them you have to let them explore the world into which they're growing. Spock had three sons and at least two of them ended up in jail. He did write later on that 
he was wrong with his theories and philosophies of child raising. But unfortunately, the damage was done and his ideas now have come into the education department here in Victoria. You can't say no to a child in Victoria. Isn't that right? Can't say no. You can't tell them that their behaviour is bad. You're not allowed to use that word. You have to use the word unacceptable. God has set boundaries. And there's the pattern for us as well. We cannot choose a wanton, selfish and licentious lifestyle and then presume on God's goodness to do and be whatever we want in heaven, let alone on earth. Not acceptable. We also find this issue of consequences clearly and unmistakably expressed in many other passages in Scripture, including Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Consequences. And you only need to look at other passages in Mark 9, Proverbs 14, Ezekiel 18, Jude 1, 2 Peter 2, Matthew 25, Acts chapter 5, Mark 9, Philippians 3, and the list goes on. God has clearly told us in his word how he would have us behave and that if we step outside of that, there are outcomes, consequences. For some today, they say they don't care about all this because they don't believe in God and they don't believe in heaven or hell. They've chosen their path and all we can do is continue to pray for them and witness to them in the hope that they may yet open their heart and mind to God. We cannot save them from themselves. All we can do is keep prompting them to reevaluate their own condition and hopefully one day they will choose God. As Paul expressed in verse 17, there are many, however, who struggle with the issue of faith in the spirit and the flesh because their fleshly desires seek to dominate their life and thinking. And it is a struggle. Paul acknowledged that struggle. Their lives remain a battle between the two, that is spirit and flesh, until they finally decide to relinquish their will to God's will, to step down from the throne of authority in their life and invite the Lord God to have his rightful place. It's a little bit like driving a car. When you have a car, who sits in the driver's seat? The driver. The person who decides whether the car to go left or right. I know we have side seat drivers and back seat drivers, but the person in the driver's seat is the one who's actually controlling the wheel. 
all right, the accelerator, the brake. And the question is, in your life, who's in the driver's seat? Who's making the decisions? Now, if you choose to be in the driver's seat of your life, you choose which way you'll go, whether you'll stop, whether you'll go forward, whether you'll speed, go through red lights, or whatever it is. You choose. Conversely, if you invite the Lord Jesus to be the Lord of your life, what you do, you step aside and you ask him to take the driver's seat of your life. In verse 19 verse to 21, Paul then outlines some examples of a fleshly, carnal lifestyle. Adultery. Fornication uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That's a very important statement. These things are unacceptable to God. These things are contrary to the will of God. It's very clear. It's unmistakable. It's not negotiable. These are boundaries around, sorry, these are things around which boundaries have established by God. And that last statement, and the like, clearly tells us that this list of human carnality is not exhaustive and it allows us to include those things that are evident in any particular culture and at any given time that would seek to separate us from the perfect will and love of God. Today, we could add to this list things like drug trafficking, recreational drug usage, gun violence, domestic and elder abuse, road negligence and road rage, gambling, abortion on demand, sex slavery and prostitution and the like. How often, as a church, do we stand up and stand out against these things? Stand up for God and proclaim that these attitudes, these principles, these values of a world fleshly dominated society are unacceptable to God. I know there are many churches today and many pastors today who turn a blind eye to these things. And there are some churches 
who do not even have a policy of church discipline in order to restore a fallen brother or sister. And there is nothing worse than a church that is just torn apart by this kind of wanton behaviour. What is the answer to all this? Do we simply turn a blind eye to it all and pretend that it's none of our business? Do we blame others like the media and commercialism rather than focusing on, on our own personal accountability? Do we excuse ourselves by simply saying that we now live in a permissive world and we have no right to criticise another person's life choices? Are these not excuses to become insular and disengaged from our God-created humanity and responsibility to our fellow human beings? Again, the Bible is very clear on what our response should be because in verse 25, the Apostle Paul said this, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We've got to put our spiritual life in action. It's not just something private that stands up on the mantelpiece. It's got to be something that has shoes. Our highest responsibility is to set a godly example for others and to always be ready to give answer for our faith in the Lord Jesus. If we truly learn what it is to walk in the Spirit of God, then the Holy Spirit of God will bear His fruit in our life. It's as simple as that. Oh, I don't feel very spiritual. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you living your life as God would have you live? Oh, I go to church on Sunday, month to month. If you are truly walking in the Spirit of God, then the Holy Spirit will bear His fruit in our life. And what is this fruit of the Spirit? Once again... The Bible has the answer where we read in verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, not just wishy-washy niceness to other people. True love, godly love. And sometimes that's tough. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then Paul says, against such things there is no law. No government, no institution can make a law to say that you can't love people as God loves them and as God loves you. There is no government or institution that can say that you cannot have a personal faith. 
They can try and intimidate you. But these are things that come from within, not from without. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus, this is a wonderful description of a spirit-filled life. It's a descriptive summary of how God would have us live in our speech and in our behaviour, both toward God and before all other people, regardless of their age, regardless of their ethnicity, their life condition, or even life choices. This does not mean that we are to excuse, condone, or agree with other people's speech, behaviour, and life choices. We can disagree, and we can seek to show them a better way, God's way. But we are to do this in a manner that truly honours and gives glory to God according to his will and purposes. Over the years of ministry, I have met up with and I have befriended all manner of people. Drug addicts, prostitutes, people who have chosen a homosexual lifestyle. I've sought to be their friend, but I have never agreed with their life choices or condoned them. Walking in the Spirit means that we completely surrender ourselves to the perfect will of God such that the characteristics, qualities or fruit of His Holy Spirit so influence our lives that we become a pure reflection of all who he is. Only in this way can we become the people God has intended and wants us to be. And this is why the Lord Jesus came to die for us and to open the way for our lives to experience the transforming power of God. When we read in verse 16, walk in the Spirit, Paul was not speaking to the people about having a correct intellectual theological understanding. He was speaking about the very practical ways we live in our everyday lives. Walking in the Spirit of God is a daily choice we make about how we conduct ourselves in our speech, in our manner, and in our behaviour. It's not about merely trying to do the right thing, as we hear from so many politicians and exponents in the media. It's all about being the right person, the person that God wants each one of us to be. And this begins to take place in our lives as we commit ourselves to a life in relationship with the Lord through prayer and through study of his word. It's about allowing the fullness of the nature and character of the Lord Jesus to so fill our lives that we would become more and more like him, a true child of God.
and not just a religious person. I'm not interested in being a religious person. I'm more interested in being a person that reflects the Lord Jesus. We have a song. It's a very good song. May the mind of Christ my Saviour live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. May I run the race before me, strong and brave to face the foe, looking only unto Jesus as I onward go. Brothers and sisters, if there is any doubt in your mind as to how God would have you live and behave today in this so-called post-modernist 21st century, then I urge you to read Romans 8. Pray that God will give you clarity of understanding and cast away all the dross and fog of worldliness that can so clutter and delude the mind. Pray that God will give you a clear vision of how he would have you live for him today. That is, to walk in the Spirit. And just as we close, there's a few questions that I want to pose. Seven questions. When learning to walk in the Spirit. How do I walk in the Spirit? Well, it's about letting God have first place in your life. Letting Him be in the driver's seat in all things. You may also ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? WWJD what would Jesus do? How do I walk in the Spirit? I ask myself that question. What would Jesus do? What is it like to walk in the Spirit? Well, it's not easy because some people will not like the changes that begin to take place in your life. They won't be able to control or manipulate you as they would like because you have a higher authority now in your life. And we see this evidenced in China today. The reason why the Communist Party is so fearful in China today, the reason why they are working overtime to try and, and bring everyone under control is because they know that they are not first in the hearts of those who are Christians. Christians aren't trying to overthrow the Communist Party. They're not trying to set up a new government or anything like that. There are dissidents, but they're not Christians. But the Chinese government is more interested in trying to control the church than they are the dissidents. 
When do I begin to walk in the Spirit? Well, as soon as you realize that your life is not what God desires for you. That's when you start. Where do I walk in the Spirit? Wherever you walk with your feet. Walk in the Spirit in your home, in the workplace, in the shopping centres. Wherever these feet take you, walk in the Spirit of God. Allow Him to direct you. Why should I walk in the Spirit? Well, your eternal future which, start, which starts today depends on making the choice for God to be the Lord of your life. Who do I talk with to walk in the Spirit? Well, you can simply talk to the Lord in the privacy of your own room or you can talk with one of the pastors or the church elders. And the last question, which is the best way forward in learning how to walk in the Spirit? Associate yourself with God's people and let the flame of the Spirit in their life help you to grow and to burn bright. Become part of a weekly Bible study and prayer group. Become regular in your Sunday worship. Practice a daily prayer and Bible reading time. And don't be afraid to quietly talk with others as to what God is doing in your life. Then you can leave the rest to God. Walking in the Spirit, and there are seven interrogatives. How, what, when, where, why, who, and which. And it's all focused around the Spirit of God abiding in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't like this passage. It talks about the do's and the don'ts. And there's a lot of don'ts. And sometimes that makes us very uncomfortable. Lord, we realize that if we're serious about you, we will heed what you've said. And Lord, if that puts us out of touch with some people who don't like our new life in Jesus, then Lord, that's okay. Lord, I pray for each one here today, and I include myself in that, that Lord, we will grow closer and closer to you, that we will allow you to have the highest place in our lives, that, Lord, we will be prepared to accept the consequences of our choice to turn our back on the ways of the world and to embrace the ways of Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who abides in us, 
and who day by day challenges and equips and empowers us to be the people you've called us to be. Amen.